your first step professionally begins with how has God uniquely wired you? What gives you life? And what do you enjoy doing? Sit down with a sheet of paper, draw a line in the middle, write down all the things you do in a given week or given month and put them in two categories, life-giving, life-sucking. In a rapidly evolving world, how do pastors and church leaders bridge the gap between ministry and the marketplace? Welcome to Seek Go Create, where today we're joined by Eric Hoke, a dynamic individual who specializes in helping church leaders transition in the world of business to sustain their ministries. Eric, with his unique expertise as a co-vocational church planter and marketplace professional, has a rich background in staffing, corporate training, and ministry. His work extends to guiding thousands of career changers, including pastors and church leaders, aiding them in leveraging their skills for corporate and marketplace success. With over 15 years of ministry experience and extensive knowledge in agile project management and leadership, Eric's insights have been sought after by top brands and prestigious institutions. And now a lot of pastors that are just trying to find ways to make it in the world. Eric, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thanks for having me, Tim. Excited to chat. Let me just jump into my first question. I now I'm calling this a cheesy icebreaker because it is. But if somebody asks you what you do, what do you tell them? What's your answer if somebody asks you that question? Yeah, it depends if it were a question in the real world or in Twitter. But for the sake of the podcast, what I do is I help pastors and ministry folks rebrand themselves to be marketplace professionals. That's kind of what people know me for in the church world, in the business world. I'm the director of learning and development at a not-for-profit in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. In the church world, I'm a former co-vocational church planter in the Bronx in New York City. And in the personal world, I'm happily married with three daughters. Yeah, and you, and I know you just made a transition from, we'll call it, I don't want to say city boy to country boy. That's probably a little bit of extreme, but personal shift. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So in 2023, post-COVID, a church that I founded, All Saints Church, merged with a church that we helped plant, Focus Fellowship. So the lead pastor of that church and myself sat down at the end of 22. We said, hey, what would it look like if our churches combined forces were stronger and healthier, more vibrant? If we're together, there's only one catch to this merger. And the catch is I'm going to step down from pastoral ministry and go into what God has next for me. The other pastor agreed that'd be a good idea for all of us. And that merge happened in April 23. That was the last thing keeping my family in New York City in the Bronx, where we spent 10 years. So just for context, people who are listening at home, my family of five live in about an 800 square foot apartment on the fifth floor of a building on Bruckner Boulevard, close to Yankee Stadium. And we decided, you know, what does God have next for us? And so we did the city thing and the church planting thing for a long time. Let's be a little bit closer to family. Let's get a house and a yard. Let's figure out what that would look like for us. So yeah, man, it's, as of this recording, it's pretty fresh. We've been here for about three or four months and it's been an adjustment. Some days I'm thinking, why did I do this a long time ago? And other days I'm thinking, why did I ever do this? This was a terrible idea. Oh, so that's how it's going so far. <laughs> and a family of five, there's probably some that are just, man, they're loving life. This is the greatest thing ever. And are there some that are like, 
dad, what have you done? Or husband, what have you done? What, what's the consensus so far, three, four months in? Yeah, yeah. So the one-year-old doesn't really have a vote because she's happy wherever. The four-year-old is definitely more of the city girl. She wants to still be in New York. She talks about her old apartment, her old school. Our old building had a pool in it, so she always talks about going to the pool. The five-year-old who's in kindergarten is loving it. She's got a great school and a great teacher. And my wife and I, we sort of square dance about it. Some days she's excited about it and I'm down about it. Other days she's down about it and I'm excited about it. So it goes back and forth. We haven't had too many days where we both were excited and both were down, which was probably God's grace in this season. Yeah, and I think that's part of life. I just, just to kind of keep that in perspective, you said y'all were in 800 square feet, all five of you, young kids too, it sounds like. Mm-hmm, My mm-hmm. wife and I here behind me, for those that are watching the video, we're in a little over 400 square feet. We're on wheels. It's an RV, but 800 square feet isn't, isn't very much. Did you increase that when you moved out to Pennsylvania? Got some more square footage? Yeah, we do. I think the house is somewhere around 2,400, maybe 2,200. Of course, we have the garage, we have the yard, we have the basement. The thing that baffles me, we've only been there for three months and we've already filled it up with furniture. It blows my mind, man, how fast that happens. The, way, the day we moved in, it was bare bone. And I feel like we blinked and every cranny was claimed. I was going to ask if you've adhered to Parkinson's law, which I'm an engineer. So, you know, Parkinson, I think he said that we will expand whatever space we have will expand to it. Sounds like you have proven that out, correct? That is correct. So the one biggest change we have, two, I guess, the first one is the baby has her own room. The two older girls share a room. So that's a new thing. They used to all sleep in one room and we have a guest room. So we never had that in New York, obviously, because there's no space. But what has happened is everyone that we know who always wanted to hang out with us is now welcoming themselves over and, and sleeping in our guest room. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to come hang out for a weekend, we got a place for you to crash at our place. The criteria for me to hang out is you need a nice level 40-foot driveway so I could just pull in the driveway. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, we got that. Yeah, we got that. You're good. Cool. So, Eric, this is kind of something that I think is going to help frame the conversation. When someone goes through the transition that you just went through, it's probably mm-hmm. not that much different than pastors you work with or people that are making changes and things like that. And there's the physical aspect of it, moving to a new place, doing something new. But there's also the, what we really dig down on here is how does success relate to it? How do we redefine success? Mm. Was your transition, do you perceive it? And there's nothing good or bad about this, but is it a, is it an advancement? Is it a horizontal move or was it what some would call a failure? And the reason I'm asking that is because I think that's going to be important when we talk about how pastors perceive their future in just a little while. So talk about just the psychology of the transition you just went through. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to answer it by saying that unless you have a theology that says as a Christian, all of your life is a ministry, you can look at what I just experienced and what many pastors I work with are experiencing as a failure. Hey, you're no longer pastor at a local church. You're no longer in the four walls of a church building. You're no longer preaching on Sunday. Now you work at XYZ Corporation. That's a step backwards, or that's not everything that God has for you. Yet, where's that idea in 
church history and where is that idea in scripture? Pretty hard to come by. So I think if you have a theology that says, and I grew up with some of this, so I relate to it, that Christians, pastors, missionaries, ministers, they're the Navy SEALs of Christians and accountants, architects, engineers, bankers, teachers, social workers, they're, they're okay, but they're not the elite. And if that is the pervasive model that you subscribe to as a person, yeah, you look at a transition out of vocational ministry as a failure. But if you can get the clarity that says, you know what, whether I'm preaching on a Sunday morning or whether I'm shoveling my sidewalk after a nice storm like we just had here in Pennsylvania, I'm still doing it to God's glory. And that's what matters. It takes a lot of intentionality and inner work to decouple your identity from your position. But once you can do that, the opportunities that God has for you are limitless. Mm, all right. My follow-up question is one you may or may not be able to answer, but we're almost 250 episodes in here at Seat Go Create, and we have had the essence of this next question come up going all the way back to the beginning, back to fall of 2019. And it goes something like this, Eric. How did we come to this place where there's a pecking order in the kingdom of God or in the work that we do? I've always been a marketplace guy. I went to Bible school and things like that, but it's baked in if you go to Bible school. Missionaries are the ultimate. The next would probably be some form of evangelist and then a pastor. And then, you know, next would be youth pastor. And then, you know, the, and then the drummer, that's the bottom of the spiritual realm would be the drummer up on stage. All right. And then it's the, the Gentiles, the unwashed masses that are the accountants, lawyers and all that. How did we get to this place? Because I agree with you. It's not scriptural because all the disciples were co-vocational. They were bivocational. Right. right. How did we get to this right. place where we have a ranking of who is more important in the work they do in the kingdom of God? Let's take a short break from the show. Think about the leader you are today and the leader you want to become. Hello, I'm Tim Winders, your guide to personal and professional transformation. In my executive coaching sessions, we dive deep into what it means to be a truly impactful leader, one who leads not just with skills, but with vision and faith. Through my coaching, leaders have redefined their approach, achieving not just success, but also purpose and joy in their work. Are you ready for this kind of transformation? Let's explore your potential together. Schedule your free discovery coaching call at timwinders.com forward slash coaching. Your leadership journey is just beginning. Now back to Seek Go Create. Man, there's somebody smarter than me that probably knows the history of this. Let me give you my Bible college answer. <laughs> my Bible college answer is that there's something in the human spirit, not of God, that wants to one-up their fellow human. There's something within us that says, oh, you have an Audi and I have a Ford. How do I get an Audi? But they don't realize the Audi guy is looking at the Bentley guy and saying, you have a Bentley and I have an Audi. How do I get a Bentley? I'll share a story. My wife is an amazing person. I'm so excited to see all the 
gems she gets in heaven one day. We had a Sunday early in our church plant where it was like a holiday weekend, Labor Day, Memorial Day, something like that. And attendance was low. And when you're a church plant, when there's a low attendance, that's like your family and two old ladies show up. That's like a low Sunday. And it was like that. And I remember leaving that Sunday just so discouraged and so beat up. And my wife says something to me. She's like, you know what's funny? Think of the big church pastor. They probably had a low Sunday attendance today because they had 600 as opposed to 1,000. And they're feeling the same way you are right now. Shoot, you have a point. (laughs) There's something about the human spirit that says, I have to acquire more, be more, do more, have more than my brother or sister does. And when it comes to the pecking order, I like that language. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's how do I get higher up on the rung so that God loves me more? But God loves you regardless because of what Christ did for you. So until that seeps into your spirit, you'll always feel a sense of I'm not doing enough. I'm not made enough. I'm not high enough on a ladder because I'm trying to earn God's love, which is impossible. Yeah. And I've always wondered, and this is, we're just guesstimating here. I'm kind of like you. I've tried to study some of the history. I do wonder if the Americanized first world church, if it didn't invent this, it threw gas on it. It really heightened it because of our puritanical performance oriented, we're better than you and we know it and we're going to show it type mindset. And then, and then we measure all types of things. I've always, I've always wondered, and this is another one of these things we don't know the answer. What would it have been like just to be one of the 12? What would it have been like to be one of the 12 that we don't hear much about? Not the big three, 12 that hung out with Jesus, right. but one of the nine, just observing and all that kind of stuff. I've always wondered if they like at the end of the evening, maybe their quiet time prayer, if Jesus, I could see Peter maybe doing this, but Jesus said, all right, let's go over the numbers. Let's talk about, they're going to say later, all were healed, but we need to know how many that was. Uh, Something like, uh, picture that. Can you picture that? No. I heard this quote before, and I don't know who said it, so maybe one of your listeners will will send it to me on Twitter, but it says, as Christians, those who we admire, we shouldn't, and those that we should are tied up doing God's work behind the scenes that nobody even knows their name. And that always stuck with me because I think greatness in the kingdom is just that. It's serving in obscurity, but we're humans, and we live in 2023, 24 now. (laughs) where we want to be front and center. We want to be the brand. We want to be the man. And the Americanized version of the church is, that's real, man. That is a really good call out. Yeah, it is. And and the reason I bring it all up is because I think that's the context that you're stepping into with your, the mission you have with, I love the time, you know exactly what you do. I help pastors get jobs. That's, yeah. I love the name of your organization. I help pastors get jobs. And, and I guess the thing I'd like to ask now, because I think it, it fits, it sounds like what you just went through three, four months ago, where you went through your transition, mm-hmm. that, that, that is part of a longer process, longer play that dates back years and years that you are comfortable with that. Whereas there could be Joe Pastor, Sally Pastor, I guess, could be out there right now. Mm-hmm. And they think 
that if they have to go out and get a part-time gig or a side hustle or get a corporate job or something, that it's failure. Back up for me. And again, our theme here is redefining success, defining what success is. Back up a little bit and give a little bit of Eric's ups and downs that's helped you prepare for what you just went through a few months ago. Maybe a good, a bad, or ugly, whatever. I'm just opening up for you to share whatever from your background here that you think might be pertinent that helped you get ready for this. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the good that I, that one of the things I did right, and there's a lot of things I'll do wrong, and I'll I don't mind airing my dirty laundry about it to to those listening. But one of the things I did right was everything was always transparent. And what I mean by that is I didn't just wake up one morning because I had a bad burrito the night before and say, you know what, forget this church, I'm gonna go do something different. It was always an ongoing conversation with leadership, with mentors, with select members that had the, the reason to be in the know. Like I said, it merged healthily. It was not a quick, okay, here's your new pastor. See you later. We did it over the course of several months. I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud that we transitioned well. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see pastors make, Tim, is they call me and they say, hey, I'm the youth pastor and I need to get out of my situation. It's a bad situation. To which I always ask, I sometimes get accused by some guys on Twitter about trying to remove people from ministry. That's not at all my dream or my vision or my desire. The first question I typically would ask that youth pastor is, have you spoken to your senior pastor about this? Have you sat down with him or her and just had an honest conversation? Like, hey, I'm feeling like this is, my season here is coming to an end. Can we find a way to peacefully make a transition? And nine times out of 10, you you already know the answer. They say, no, I haven't done that. So maybe that should be the first step. Before you call me and ask me for a resume and help you get on LinkedIn, why don't you sit down with the people you're accountable to in love, in grace, and I obviously understand there's dynamics that play in some of these contexts. I'm well aware of those, but just being transparent and open, this is where I'm at. I'm a big fan of Pete Scazzaro, and he talks about how people become spiritually mature, but remain emotionally immature. And an emotionally mature person would be open and honest, this is where I'm going. And I want the people who love and care about me to be informed of my thought process. So one thing that's one thing I did really well. When it comes to things I didn't do very well, and I'm now facing the back end of it, I did put a lot of my identity into, I'm a church planter in New York City. How sick is that? How many people can say that? And that's some of that Navy SEAL thinking coming in again, where it's, I'm the elite. And now I'm here. Don't work in church ministry anymore. I, I volunteer at a church, but don't work on staff anymore living in a suburban neighborhood with a two-car garage and those realities that I was finding identity in are no longer a part of who I am. So I had to ask myself those tough questions of, okay, who is Eric Koch removed from church planter in a major city? And when I figured that out, I'll let you know, but that's still something I'm processing in real time. I think that's, I'm so glad you brought up that word identity. Because I see it, I'm quote unquote, my title is executive coach. And I, when we finish up here, I'll have a call with a leader of a ministry. I work with ministry leaders and I work with business and company leaders. And Eric, it's the same thing. It's identity. There are people that have identity and, you know, there's words we could throw in the pot and stir them in like humility I heard humility in the, in the tone of your voice and the way you were talking now. I don't know if I would have heard something different 10 years ago. I know if you had talked to me 
you would say this guy's pretty brash and bold and you know go through things and it's like okay there's more humility and hopefully less hypocrisy you know less putting on a certain face and things like that and i see people that really struggle with that all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna hit one more thing before we go into some maybe some practical things when i was at bible school i was always the business guy talking to people about hey doing this, making money and all that kind of stuff. And it was shunned. They even had a business section. They tried to do a little bit of what you're talking about. But I talked to one guy who had a really good business idea for something that I thought it would have been great for missionaries. And Eric, he told me something that I want you to address and just say something about it. He said, I said, man, this would be the greatest thing ever. I said, I'd help raise some funds for this. It was basically this greenhouse where someone anywhere could grow stuff and then maybe sell it locally and things like that. It was a full-on cool business opportunity. And I said, man, every missionary in Africa and other places like this, we need to work with them and all that. He goes, he goes Tim, he said, man, he goes, I would love to do that. He says, but you know what we found? He said, most people we've interacted with, they're lazy. They went into ministry. This could be harsh sounding. They went into ministry because they didn't want to do real work. And, uh-huh. and I was uh-huh. just like flabbergasted. I was going, what? But yet I did see a lot of that play out when I was in and around. There was, was this thought of, it goes back to what you brought up earlier. It's the ultimate calling. And if I do that, God's going to take care of me. Other people are going to take care of me. I'm going to live off offering stuff like that. But ha- have you seen that at all? Counter, make me feel better. Tell me, no, these are some of the hardest working people you'll run across, or just like the population, there's some people in ministry that are just lazy. (laughs) All right. So I'll just speak as plainly as I can. I have a theory that if you're a young person, let's just say, I don't know, 15 to 20, and you have aspirations of leadership and being in front of people and drive driving change, but you don't want to do the hard work to do that in the marketplace to become a pastor because you can be a 25, 26 year old pastor at a church and have a congregation of people who look to you for leadership. They exist, but there's not very many 25, 26 year olds who are leading small businesses and companies. There's a few of course, but I have a theory that there's some people who say, hey, I really want the glory of being a pastor without having to do the grunt work of development and growth. That's why I think a lot of younger leaders implode early on in in their ministry because the amount of pressure that they put on themselves, they weren't mature enough to handle. With that being said, there are some lazy pastors. I have to sometimes tell the guys I talked to, listen, you're stressed out because of a board member or a deacon getting on you. You haven't had to go to an office from nine to five your entire life. You never had a boss. You never had projects you were accountable for. You never had any of that. I mean, you had people would also give you extra grace because you were the pastor and they expect you to be an expert in everything. When you just show up to a place every single day and you have outputs and emails and a Slack channel always humming and different projects popping up on your calendar, it's a different kind of pressure. So I actually encourage a lot of pastors, you have more free time now as a full-time minister than you ever will as a marketplace professional. So why don't you use that free time and build something on the side if you want to make some more money 
as opposed to just saying, I'm done with ministry, I'm going to go work somewhere else. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing I'll say, though, and this is where I give pastors credit, the the nature of work, the stakes are so much higher in ministry. So, for example, let's suppose someone shows up to your church and they've been there two or three Sundays and they want to sit down with you for breakfast and talk about their life and they just unload trauma, drama, pain, suffering, loss, heartache for three hours on a Wednesday morning. That is a lot to bear for anybody. Most marketplace leaders, that's not their Wednesday morning. The Wednesday morning is some emails and a Slack message. <laughs> so I think that the laziness is not so much of pastors don't want to work hard. I think for a lot of it, it's the volume of work is so intense. Maybe it's not as frequent. I know a lot of pastors who golf on Tuesday afternoons from uh, at a one o'clock tea time. Don't know many business leaders doing that, but maybe a few. But I think the intensity of the work is obviously much higher when you're a pastor. Yeah, I think people in ministry, some are lazy, some are over overachievers, but it certainly is an easy gig to get into if you just want to be a freeloader, that's for sure. So what's going on with someone, let's just maybe talk to Joe Pastor that might be listening in or someone may know Joe Pastor before they reach out to you. Talk a little bit about the situation that they might be in leading up to, we'll talk in a little while about what happens after they interact with you, but talk about what they're like leading up to that. Some of the different scenarios or cases that you see people in. Yeah. So we have three profiles of pastors who come to us, About half of them are pastors who see the writing on the wall with the future of churches in this country, which churches are going to be smaller. People are going to be less generous and living a middle-class life as a full-time minister is going to be really tough for a lot of people moving forward, bar, unless we have some sort of massive revival or something like that. The future is going to be co-vocational and bivocational leaders, as it is already in Europe, New Zealand, Australia, what have you. So a lot of very innovative pastors will say, okay, Bible college, seminary, full-time ministry, but I'm 35 and I can't keep doing this for 30 more years. Let me call I help pastors get jobs and figure something out. It's about half of the calls we get. 30% of the calls are the pastors who say, I'm done with ministry. I'm burnt out. I can't take it anymore. I just want to go get a job somewhere else. And I'm just, I'm done with it. A lot of them don't call us angry at God or angry at church. They're just done being in ministry. And then the last 20% call us because they had a moral failure or they were fired or some circumstance removed them from ministry and they call us and they're in crisis. And we're there to provide triage and support to help them transition into the marketplace. So those are the three that we find most common. I want to become Bivo. I want to leave ministry altogether. Or I was forced to leave and now I'm not sure what to do with myself professionally. So they are coming to terms with maybe full-time financial support ministry is not mm -hmm. going to play out. And that's a, that's probably a fairly, we talked about the psychology of it earlier. That's probably something that something's gone on psychologically. Their wife looks at them and says, we can't live poor anymore, or this church, it's not going to keep growing. We see the math type thing. What are you seeing? This might be back to maybe a bigger picture question before we're going in 
a little bit deeper, but what are you seeing kind of as trends or something? I mean, I've been observing for some time that probably the, what we'll call church world, first world church, whatever, is going through some changes. I think COVID really, a lot of people think it was COVID. I think it was happening before then. COVID just emphasized it, but what can you share that's just observations that you have? And I know that there are Barna and places out there that do a lot of the research, but just from your seat, Eric, what do you see that we might could glean from you about what's happening with the church? Yeah, there's a few things on my radar right now. One of them is, this is just like you said, my observations. I don't have data on this. I'm sure someone does. But anytime I talk to a Christian under 25, I ask them a lot of questions. (laughs) I really want to get in the brain of the Gen Z believers. And the reason why that is a few months ago, I was talking to a pastor and he was sharing about where he went to Bible college. He graduated from Bible college in 2005, so almost 20 years ago, with a youth ministry degree. There was a hundred youth ministry majors at this Bible college 20 years ago, 19 years ago. This past year, they had three. So in 19 years, they went from 100 young people who say, I want to go into full-time church ministry to three. And I'm really curious, what is it with Gen Z that says, meh, I'm good. I want to pursue that. I'm a millennial. I'm an elder millennial. My group, Gen Xers, we were going to seminary. We were planting churches. We were moving our families to cities like the Bronx and starting ministries from scratch. And Gen Z, I'm just, I'm not seeing that. And maybe it's happening. I just don't have exposure to it, but that has my attention. The other end of the spectrum is when you see lead pastors who are 70 and 80 years old and hang on to their pulpits and not want to give it up. And sometimes it's about power and control, but oftentimes Tim is just financial. I don't have retirement. I don't have social security. This is, if I quit working at this church, I'm going to be living on the street. So I see that on two extremes where it's like, what's happening in the church milieu that young folks don't want to jump into ministry, then the older folks don't want to give up their ministries. And how can we address that? And what I'm really finding people get their ears perked up when it comes to the I help pastors get jobs conversation is, hey, tell a group of 22, 23-year-olds, hey, you don't have to go to Bible college and get a youth ministry degree. You can get a marketable skill where you can make a lot of money and you and your three or four best friends can go move to whatever part of the country you want to, buy some homes or rent some apartments and just start meeting people in your community and let the kingdom of God flourish from that. And then we're living in a really exciting time in the world where people can do that. And maybe they couldn't a generation or two ago. And I think that as more Christians begin to think missionally of, hey, how do I get a marketplace job, build healthy community? impact my neighborhoods, and make a tangible difference for the kingdom. Gen Zers aren't signing up for seminary, but I think a lot of them will sign up for that. And I think in terms of the older crowd, some of them need to say, all right, I need to transition and let the the 40-year-old, the 50-year-old, the 30-year-old take this pulpit, and I need to step down. Well, until then, we're going to we're going to have a huge vacuum. Yeah. And obviously some of those folks don't know how much money these youth pastors make. They make the big bucks, right? Exactly. Our son-in-law, who we actually met him when we were at Bible school a few years ago, he would have been 
18, 19, we would have been in our late 50s, almost 60. I'm a tail end of the boomer generation. He does have a Bible school degree, but he actually has gone the route of cybersecurity and Mm -hmm. does some things with his church. In fact, they offered him, I guess I could say this, hopefully, they offered him the the job of youth pastor a while back. And it just didn't make sense. The money, the, the, the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way a lot of, so here's a, this, maybe I'm going to pose this as a question. I see these divisions in church world. There's the denominational world, which I think is in trouble. I think the denom in general denominations, they've got some challenges that they're going to have to deal with. And then I think there's what we'll call mega church world. And, and we mm-hmm. will pop in and visit some of those as we travel around some. The music's great. It's entertaining. Smoke and mirror, not smoke and mirror. Sorry. Was, did I say that out loud? Smoke, smoke, <laughs> smoke machine. Did I say that? Smoke machine. It's I, I okay. Trend, skinny jeans and stuff machines. like that. Anyway, all that really cool. Very entertaining. And then there's, right. and then there's what obviously is a movement now, which is like home church, small church, blah, blah, blah. Huh? I think there's this vast middle ground. And I guess my question for you here is, where are you seeing a lot of your people come from? Where are these people come from? I, my guess would be that middle ground, but maybe not. What, what are you seeing from those groups? And if I missed a group, you can call me out on it or highlight it. No, this is actually a really pointed question because when we transitioned from the Bronx, we were in, we were in a public school, we were mobile, we were scrappy. We were very janky kids ministry. My children would just hang out in the sanctuary while I preached and fight each other in the back row. And my wife and I, when we moved out here to Lancaster, which is kind of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, it's kind of like the Bible Belt of the Northeast. And we, my wife and I, we're going to find the biggest, baddest mega church in town. Our kids will finally have a kids ministry, Disneyland for Jesus to go to. We'll be able to sit and have the entertainment factor service and just be ministered to. And I don't want to tell anybody there I'm a pastor and I don't want to deal with that and let that be our church experience for a while. Well, Tim, you're laughing because you probably know how well that went because we went to one mega church and they were fantastic, beautiful church, amazing people. But every Sunday morning, it was a fight for my kids, true anxiety. Are we going to go in the back? I don't want to go in the back. I don't like going in the back. Can I stay with you? And it was one of those dynamics where it was the kids were invited to the sanctuary, but the kids weren't really invited to the sanctuary, if that makes sense. Every time you'd go in with the kids, very quickly an usher would come over and say, hey, we have kids ministry. Do you want to go check in your kid? It was that. So we did that for a few months, and then we ended up going to, like what I just described, that 140-person, middle-of-the-road Lutheran church is where we're worshiping right now. They let kids in the service. If kids cry or scream or whatever, they don't care. They just keep having service. And it's been really life-giving and beautiful. And the pastor and I have gotten to know each other. It's been really special. So that's where we, that's where we landed. So we had a idea, big box church. Our kids said no way. And a wise pastor who transitioned out of ministry told me, best advice I can give you for finding a church post-ministry, post-church ministry, do it like follow your kids. Like you drug them to church for all these years, let them drag you to where they want to go. And they brought us to this medium-sized Lutheran church. So... There you go. So how are the medium-sized churches doing? Because I agree they're pretty vital, but isn't that where just sometimes the math is really hard to make it work? You may know about that personally, but I just see that being a struggle 
it's almost it's almost like this business i'll use my business perspective that it's not startup anymore but we can't mm-hmm. scale it and grow it i don't like those words but i'll use them here you can't scale it and grow it to where we could have like full time staff people blah 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 so we're kind of in this middle ground that just makes it tough and and in the world we're in it's hard to settle in with middle of the road i like middle of the road i think that's fine but mm-hmm. what do you see there? Is that where some people come to you guys because it's just hard to make the math work? Yeah, for sure. And not only that, the biggest challenge that I see, and I think this is not just medium-sized and larger churches, is the number of white heads you see every Sunday. And God bless the saints, senior saints. We love them. We need them. Their sweat, blood, and tears have built those churches. But what, what happens when they're gone? That's what my brain always goes back to. So if you have a church of 200 people and 160 or over 60, where does that leave the, leave the church in 25 years? And I think a lot of people call us because they see the writing on the wall. Yeah, people have bankrolled this for a long time, but that 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 bank is drying up. Yeah, and I'm looking at it as a former real estate guy too, going, man, there's going to be a lot of buildings out there. There's going to be a lot of assets mm-hmm. and things like that. So anyway, Eric, I'm curious how, let's tell me how, this started tell me how you migrated to it because i think i saw something on the background you've almost been through this is a little bit exaggerative but you've almost been through every role that one could have in quote unquote ministry i think missionary and church planner youth pastor all that kind of stuff i don't know if you ever drummed or anything like that but maybe you did so you're shaking your head no for those that are listening and and it sounds like you've also been from like Liberty University to minister to actually hardcore theology school to all over the place. First of all, I'm fascinated with that because I think so many people get in one space and they never leave. I think that kind of helps transitions uh-huh. too, by the way. But at what point did you say, I am well equipped and I've got the resources and I'm called to help pastors? Uh-huh. So all of it was by accident slash God's grace. I don't know which was God's grace, which was an accident. So I'll just tell the whole story. So I'm an accidental bivocational pastor. Some people are, have the mentality of I'm always going to be bivocational because I look at it as a strategic way to do ministry. I was not one of those people. When I planted All Saints, I knew it was going to be in a large city. I knew it was going to be an underserved community. I knew it was going to take at least six months of my dynamic preaching to grow to 200, 300 people. Of course, the joke was on me because my church never grew anywhere near to that size, which churches in New York City don't grow that, that large anyways, typically. So I started doing bivocational ministry by accident. I was doing some leadership development, some training as a side gig, plus pastoring the church. COVID hit. A lot of the church plants that were like mine ended up closing up shop. And I realized that the ones who ended up closing, all of them had one thing in common that I didn't, and that was the pastor was full-time. So I had reached out to a mentor of mine to share with what I was thinking through, and he really encouraged me, Tim. He said, listen, man, why don't you make part of your ministry helping pastors think differently about vocation, figure out how to get into the marketplace, how to do ministry and marketplace ministry together, I think that could be something. I think you can scratch a pretty big itch in the church world right now. And me being the cynical New York City adjacent person I am, thought, oh, no one's going to care about that, but sure, I'll give it a try. 
put together this very janky, low-budget website, a lead-generating PDF, put it on my social media, went and made myself some lunch, came back an hour or two later, and 300 people had signed up for it. So I thought, oh, my friend was on to something. And we've been off to the races ever since. And to your point, like, I'm not someone that, this is not theory for me because I've had to do it. Like, I've had to rebrand as a marketplace professional in Manhattan as a Liberty University graduate. So nobody here has it worse than I did. Trust me. <laughs> so I had to figure all that out. And then I got actually into workforce development where I was helping young adults, 18 to 24 year olds, break into the marketplace. And it just was a realization I had, Tim. They have programs like this for underserved young adults. They have programs like this for veterans. They have programs like this for what, like people of color. They have programs like this for all sorts of people in society. But where is it for pastors? It doesn't exist. So we started it. So you mentioned a word, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up to ask it as a, are you sure? Because some people might want to argue with it. You said that this is a ministry. And if uh -huh. someone says, Eric, this isn't a ministry. There's money changing hands. There's some profit there. There, It doesn't look like a ministry. How do you respond? Mm. Yeah. The first thing I would say is that 97% of people who engage our content never paid a penny. And every single, not every day, I'll be honest, every week I get an email from someone that says, hey, Eric, you don't know me, but I follow you on Twitter. I get your emails. I did everything you said, and I found a job. And praise God, I have pastors who email me probably once a month. I want to do your class. I can't afford it. Give any advice for me. I say, here's my advice. Here's a coupon code for a free voucher. Go take the class. The only thing I charge for is anything that requires customization. And why do I do that? Because I'm a working father of three kids, and they're, they get hungry every single day, and their feet won't stop growing. And they need new shoes for ballet and a new, a new outfit for karate. So I do this on the side because obviously it takes time, money, and energy. But the vast majority of what I do is no cost. So that's how I do it. I just say, hey, I charge a little bit of money. Honestly, it's about one-third to one-fifth of what the market rate is for the similar services. But you can take everything I've given for free and figure it out on your own if money is a barrier. Yeah. And just so that I'm clear, I am all for charging money. I'm a business guy that goes over into the ministry world at times. I did not come up along in ministry. So I'm all for that. In fact, when I did go to over to your site, I saw some of your pricing and I went, that's fairly modest. That's, I don't want to say low. You, you could probably charge more if you chose to. So this isn't a money grab and all that. I'll guarantee that. Give me a couple, give us a couple of success stories. Do you got a couple of couple here? And there's a few questions I want to ask before we wrap up here, but how about a few of, you know, this person, I always say guy, but I'm sure that there might be women here too. We need more. I think women in the ministry world, they're just, they seem to be smarter and can handle things better. Maybe they've got this figured out and we just need the guys that can't figure out how to make the money piece work. So anyway, tell us some success stories. <laughs> Sorry, but sidebar well, commentary, no. we may need to cut that out. We'll, we'll, we'll make the cut longer if we decide to, but the majority of the emails I get from people who say, oh, I figured it out on my own with your free resources are women. 
That totally makes sense. We're sitting here talking and truthfully, I think I, I saw that you were agile project management. That's my wife. She's gotten all the training on that. Uh-huh. You know, we would probably be really wise if we actually got just the wives to have these conversations, but no, two guys, we can get on and talk for 60 minutes, say stuff act like we know what we're talking about, but yes, the women are definitely smarter. We will admit that and we may just leave that in for just for the sake of its accuracy and also, okay, success stories. Tell us about some. Yeah. I think one of my favorite success stories was a pastor who's living in Ohio. His, he was originally from Georgia. His parents were aging. He wanted to get down to Georgia to be closer to them. Very hard to do that when you're pastoring full-time several states away. He reaches out to us. He says, listen, I've been applying for jobs down in Georgia. I can't get a single call back. I can't get anyone to answer my my inquiries and very smart guy, sharp, competent, been in ministry for a long time. He shelled out for the resume rewrite. He sent us a job of interest. We went to Taylor's resume for an operations role and he applied for 10 jobs over the course of a weekend. And by the following week had three invitations to interview. I ended up getting a job with the city of Decatur. I'm not sure if I'm saying that. I'm not from Georgia. Decatur. But I think it's Decatur. Decatur. Decatur, thank you, Decatur. That's the French version. Decatur, yeah. Decatur. There's no French in Georgia. Working. Just so you know, I'm from Georgia, so I <laughs> exactly. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for th- thanks for the save there, brother. Anyways, for the city, working with the mayor, really high profile job, loving it, killing it, and he took a he took a bet on himself, and he was able to serve in that way, able to be closer to his family, and it was just a huge win. And the coolest thing that I love to see, man, is the confidence boost that these guys and gals get when they realize, oh, like I do have skills. I do have the ability to translate my, the things I've learned in ministry. I do have things that the market will pay me money for. It's a huge win every time that happens. Yeah. And he, listen, I know that part of the city, there are plenty of ministry opportunities. It is not as if he's not in ministry anymore, right? Totally. Yeah, totally. So yep. much there. It's not quite inner city, but it's a, it's an urban, definitely an urban area with a lot going on. I wanted to ask a couple things here. I'm watching my time. There's a few things I'll wrap up with here, but I found you somehow on Twitter, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Do we call it X? I don't know. I don't know exactly what to do there. Is that where you have built up and now have a lot of your activity or where do people find you? That might be a better question. Yeah. Twitter is where I'm most active social media wise. You can also go to IHelpPastorsGetJobs.com. If you click on the free PDF, that'll put you on my email list. I send out an email every Monday, just job tips and tricks to transition from vocational ministry into the marketplace. I reread every single response that I get from those emails as well. So if you ever have a question or pick my brain on something, you can do that. And also there's a Calendly link as well on the webpage. You can schedule time with my associate, Mark. And if our services are a benefit to you, we can definitely start that conversation. But I'm actually on a Twitter break right now. Twitter is great for gauging people and having conversation. It's terrible for your soul. So I've decided to take a few weeks and just give it a breather. I feel a little bit better doing that. But yeah, my name, Eric Koch on Twitter. Or I help pastors get jobs.com. I noticed that. And I was actually going to ask you about that because I, yesterday when I was just snooping around looking for some info on you, I saw that you had taken a break 
from what we call Twitter. And how's that going for you? Is that nice to be away? And listen, a lot of people would want to know how, especially if your business revolves around that platform or one of these platforms, and we could probably insert a lot of them, even though Twitter seems to be a little more toxic at times, and especially now that it's just the wild, wild west. But uh, what does it look like to step away? Tell me more about that. Yeah, man. It was done with intentionality. One of the dreams that I have for I help pastors get jobs is to pivot from a B2C business to a B2B business. So what I mean by that is we can do resumes all day and that's good and that's fine. We're happy to support. But those denominations, networks, seminaries, just bigger entities, working with them directly to support and resource their pastors is what has my attention. And presidents of seminaries aren't hanging out on Twitter typically. So what we're trying to do is build right now in the background, more credible collateral and material that we can present to leaders in those spaces. Because we just struck a deal with the PCA last year, the end of last year, where we're helping resource their pastors in transition. And those are the things that are really excited because then that pastor is just not only getting the support from us, but also from their denomination, their network, to help them transition out of ministry. So I can go on Twitter and say some goofy things and get some traffic, and that's good and that's fine. But the word you used earlier, which is a word that I also have a complicated relationship with, scale. I help pastors get jobs never scales with me being goofy on Twitter. It scales when I start becoming a thought leader with denominations, networks, seminaries, and Christian institutions and saying, hey, how do we think differently about this and how can we resource our pastors? But you have had quite an, quite a big jump in, I guess we'll call them followers over on mm -hmm. Twitter X. What do you attribute that to? Is it your, your rugged, ruggedly handsome looks? Is it your wit and things like that? What do you, I'm always intrigued and people want to say, hey, if someone's jumped 2,500 followers in a year or doubled or tripled, which I think you seem like you have, what do you attribute mm -hmm. that to? Or is it luck or God's grace like you talked earlier when you transitioned into what you're doing now? Yeah. So there's a formula that I use and obviously anyone can find this on the internet. It's not something I made up. It's been out there. It's a strategy for getting attention. And it's the four E's. Entertain, educate, um, exploit, exploit bad ideas. And now I'm drawing a blank on the fourth one because I'm a little rusty from being off Twitter for the last couple of weeks. Entertain, exploit. Oh, and educate. And uh, gosh, what's the last one I'm looking for? almost expire, but it starts with an E. Okay. So like, like you need to have a formula on, on Twitter. A lot of people I see, everything's education. Do these 10 things, get a job. Do these eight things to get an interview. Do these four things to negotiate your salary. Okay, that's helpful, but that's all you're ever pumping out there. It gets dry after a while. Some people are just entertaining. They're telling jokes and memes and puns, and that's good for entertainment value, but not very helpful. One of the things that I found a lot of traction it with is exploiting bad ideas that happen within the church world and especially like the staffing world. Like one of my first viral tweets was, how's a church board going to put you through 10, 10 rounds of interviews to offer you a $30,000 a year job? And that got liked and shared and commented on by everybody and their mother. So that's the strategy that I go through. I try to make sure every time I'm posting, I'm hitting all four of those kind of it's entertaining 
the educating, is it exploiting? There's a fourth E that I'm drawing a blank is on. Is it encourage, like encourage, inspire? Encourage, encourage. You got it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's encourage. You got it. Thank you. Encourage, exploit, educate, entertain. Very good. Yeah. And I think I may have seen some of those because that draw, I, the exploit thing is something that I see quite a bit. And I love when people are talking about things like that. What's wrong with the current system? This is what's wrong with Uh the current system. And I've seen a good bit of that. So that's good. Two, a couple of questions real quick here before we wrap up. One, I think I'd love it. And I think we've given some things along the way, but just as a little bit of an exclamation point to the topic, let's just say that someone is listening in and maybe they're ministry, maybe they're something else. They just know they need to make some adjustments, changes, something like that. Give a, a quick tip or two just that might be tangible for them just to move them in the direction that they might need to go. They're already feeling the urge. Something needs to change. What would you tell them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first thing I would say is your next step professionally does not begin with what jobs are out there. Your first step professionally begins with how has God uniquely wired you? What gives you life and what do you enjoy doing? And I find that for pastors, this can be very tricky, but sit down with a sheet of paper, draw a line in the middle, write down all the things you do in a given week or given month and put them in two categories, life-giving, life-sucking. Everything that's life-giving, it's pretty amazing what we can do nowadays. Punch that all into ChatGBT, say, what jobs would I be doing these things? And it'll give you half a dozen jobs to start looking for. That's a really tangible first step that you can do. That's something I'd recommend. What gives you life and how can you do more of that? Because the solution is not just go get another job. The solution is find ways in which you can live out your giftedness as a professional. I like that. And then one of the first things someone has to do is to make sure that they understand that chat GPT and AI is not the devil. That is not, (laughs) that's bad theology, right? No, it's a good tool that that we could use for these things and especially coming up with I think that's great. I think that's a good tip, Eric, for almost anyone. Pastor, yes, mm-hmm. but I think anyone that feels like they're in some type of transition or change. So I appreciate that. Man, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Eric, we are seek, go create those three words. My last question for you, I'm going to let you choose one of those over the other two. It just, and don't overthink it. Seek, go, or create. Which word do you choose and why? I'm going to choose seek. There's something that I've been very intentional about the last few years, and that's just being really curious about things. So I'll meet somebody and I'll say, they'll say, oh, I work, you mentioned earlier, oh, I, I worked in this field, I'm, or my, my wife's in agile project management. So like, what is that? Can you share more about what that is? Like, how does she do that? What kind of stuff is she working on? I think so many pastors, man, they get, they have people who come to their ch- churches every day, every Sunday. They see them preach, they see them pray for people, they see them offer the sacraments. But if you were to ask that same pastor, hey, what does Joe do Monday through Friday? What does Sally do Monday through Friday? I don't know, works in some office somewhere. So I'd encourage pastors who feel like they're seeking out what's next to, you know, be curious. Take that business person out for lunch this week and say, hey, listen, you know what I do every week. What do you do every week? What are you working on? What's going on in your world? I think there's a lot of value in just asking questions and being curious. I love that. Yeah. I had that Ted Lasso clip, that be curious, him at the dartboard come up. Eric Hoke, he helps pastors get jobs. 
Great conversation. I've loved this. And I recommend you checking out all his stuff. Jump over to Twitter, follow him. Even if you may not be a pastor, Eric is fun to follow over on Twitter X. So we are Seek Go Create here. We release new episodes every Monday. Your support means the world to us. Now you can tip us, buy me coffee or a sip of whiskey if you're inclined to do that. You can offer us financial support. Just go to seekgocreate.com forward slash support. Contributions start at just $1. I'll tell you, you will not be able to get me a sip of whiskey for a buck. So you're going to need to give me more than that. You could leave a comment there. Your comment could be featured in a future episode. Visit seekgocreate.com forward slash support. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be. 